Hi everybody and welcome to this episode of the Tracker Bros podcast. The Tracker Bros is my buddy Marcus and myself, Daniel. We are both serious fitness and tech enthusiasts, product testers and wearable geeks. The goal of this podcast is to give you guys more insight into the use case scenarios for different wearables and apps to enhance your health and athletic performance. We want to give you a better understanding on what exists on the market and what your personal benefit could be. On this podcast, we will talk to amazing app designers, vendors, CEOs, and other people working in the wearable and app market, but also to ambitious athletes using tech to enhance their performance, or just regular people trying to live a healthy lifestyle. We hope you will be inspired by our podcast and get some new ideas on how to improve your life and performance. With that in mind, enjoy listening and always continue to perform better with data. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the fourth episode of the Tracker Broad podcast. Um, I hope things go better than this recording than in our previous one with a techie agent, Eric Russell. Because in the middle of the recording, my house had a complete power outage. And I suddenly sat there in the dark with no internet, which was sort of weird. And while I was searching for the root course, Marcus and Eric continued talking. And this was all recorded. And this moment, Marcus' cat puked on his carpet and Marcus was not really amused. Um, at least his reaction was really funny. Actually, when I did the audio post-processing and the cutting, I found this section and I first decided to leave it in for entertainment purposes. Uh, I bet our listeners would have liked it, but uh, I took it out because I'm a nice guy. <laughs> so uh, let's switch from puking cats right over to our special guest, Marcus Philly. Welcome, Marcus. Uh, it's really an honor for us to have such an elite athlete like you in the house. Thank you. Well, I'm happy to be here, and I promise there won't be any any puking cats in uh, on my end because I don't <laughs> have any cats. I don't have any pets. <laughs> <laughs> to our listeners, everybody who is deeper into the sports CrossFit knows Marcus Philly as he is a multiple times CrossFit Games athlete. Marcus, how many times have you been there? I had six six um, CrossFit Games appearances, three as an individual and three as a uh, team member. Ah, okay. Uh, for those who do not know what that means, consider the CrossFit Games as the Olympic Games of the sport CrossFit. Only the best of the best qualify to be there. Um, qualifying for the CrossFit Games, at least to me, basically means that you are some sort of supernatural life form. <laughs> <laughs> yes, correctly. <laughs> Seriously, nowadays that is very much true. Okay, um, so let's start uh, with the questions related to you being a CrossFit athlete. Um, mm -hmm. Can you please introduce yourself? Uh, what do you do and what do you make for a living? Oh, well, um, gosh, yeah. I mean, well, that's not really related to me as an athlete because I'm no longer, you know, an athlete 
active athlete in the sport. I have uh, retired from the sport and it's been three years since I've been in a competitive environment with CrossFit. Uh, but since that, since retiring or stepping away from competition, I have uh, built a coaching um, brand and company and business that is called Revival Strength. And we offer personalized fitness coaching to athletes all over the world, uh, both, uh, you know, virtually um, and in person here in California. And then I've also kind of developed and uh, honed some principles that I have coined the term or utilized the term functional bodybuilding as our fitness training method. And that has um, resonated with a lot of people. It's essentially blending bodybuilding with CrossFit in a way that makes people feel like they can do this for a long time. And uh, there's some longevity to the training methodology. Okay, very interesting. Um, and how did your uh, sports career start? Um, how did you get to CrossFit or over the time to the uh, functional bodybuilding? Great question. Yeah, I mean, I started, I started, it was all kind of by accident that I got into the sport of CrossFit, uh, truthfully. I was um, a collegiate athlete uh, in soccer, football, right? Soccer, American, mm -hmm. uh, you know, soccer. And um, I, let's see, uh, I had a long history of training, you know, other sports, but mainly soccer growing up and, but really always loved the fitness component of of uh, my team sports. So I loved the training to get better for the sport that involved conditioning, strength training, etc. And um, once I finished my college career of soccer, I was just, I, I, I didn't, I had, I didn't have any passion to play the sport anymore. I just, I had passion to be fit and to stay in shape and to work out. And so that led me um, to discover a lot of different fitness methods that were out there. CrossFit was one of the ones that kind of I got introduced to around that time. And it really piqued my interest. It got me very, uh, I was very intrigued by the notion of, uh, of CrossFit as a, as a methodology. And I, I used it to challenge myself. And shortly thereafter, I saw it as an opportunity to enter and engage into the coaching landscape of CrossFit and coaching athletes in CrossFit. Um, I also was, you know, simultaneously uh, watching the sport of CrossFit develop. This was in 2009, 2010. And so I decided I wanted to participate in the sport of CrossFit. Um, and so I started to coach and compete uh, in the sport for, for a number of years, about seven years in the sport. And mm -hmm. in that time, I recognized what you recognize and how you kind of led things off and you told your audience what CrossFit Games is. You know, it is this super sport, right? It's like this highly, highly specialized sport of fitness where people are training at an elite level. And what I learned is that that's great as a sport for the people that want to be elite, but it's not great for the everyday person who's looking to just feel better, you know, get a little stronger, lose a little body fat. To follow that type of regimen can be far too much and can create lots of problems. So uh, meaning like people getting injured, people getting burnt out, getting too stressed out, not seeing results. And so that's when I started to in investigate functional bodybuilding as a, pr as principles to help 
the person that wasn't necessarily looking to be an athlete in CrossFit, but likes the idea of CrossFit and some of those principles, they want to bring it into their own life. Okay. Um, so um, talking about the CrossFit Games, um, can you uh, explain a bit uh, to our listeners how it was to uh, take part in the CrossFit Games? Sure. Yeah. I mean, it was every year was always a uh, it was always something new. Um, you know, the the sport is really defined by um, you know this notion of you need to have a wide enough skill set as an athlete to be able to to handle whatever we throw at you, whatever you know, random assortment or concoction of movements and physical tests <clears throat> that we may put in in your way. So this idea of constantly varied is what really was, you know, the motivating driving force behind every aspect of preparation for CrossFit as a sport. I had to be ready to be strong. I had to be ready to have endurance. I had to be ready to swim, climb ropes, walk on my hands, you name it. And so that was always a very uh, strong you know, factor for me was I loved the idea of being good at a lot of things, but maybe not the best at any one thing. And so training and competing in CrossFit was, was, uh, it kept me on my toes and it kept me constantly trying to search to better myself in a wide variety of, of areas. The other thing I loved about it was that in an effort to do, to do, to be the best physical athlete I could be, it meant I had to really closely evaluate what I was doing uh, in the way of recovery, in the way of taking care of my body outside the gym. And I felt like those lessons, better sleep, better nourishment, better, uh, you know, mobility, recovery practices, those lessons were what were helping my clients the most, like teaching them how to better self-care. So um, I just, I love that the sport really kind of, put a, put a microscope, you know, put, put us all under a microscope to really look at all the facets of our lives that impacted our performance. Yeah. It's really insane what they come up with on the CrossFit games. It's so hard to really practice for that stuff mm -hmm. because you don't know what they come up with, like climbing yeah. up weird uh, uh, boards and such. <laughs> Yeah, right, right. Well, you know, it's it, that was kind of how things were built early on was like, hey, you know, you never know what you're going to expect. But nowadays, it's very, I don't want to say it's like you get the same thing every year, but essentially, you know what they're going to use, like in terms of movements and in terms of skills. And the vast majority of it is stuff that people are very trained in. And they know essentially what to expect in some in some variation. So it's 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 not as uh, if you're if you're new to the sport and you've never seen it, it can certainly appear as though it's just uh, this, you know, random selection of stuff. But if you've been doing it for a long time, um, you know, people are, are certainly getting wise to how to best prepare and train for for these events. Okay, you mentioned your online program, Revival Strength. You especially use the term functional bodybuilding. Can you explain to our listeners what this is and how it differs from traditional bodybuilding or traditional functional training? Uh, if there is a definition for functional training at all. Well, what is the goal? Great, right. 
Yeah, well, functional training, I think, is, is a hard one because it's, you know, it, it doesn't have a very clear definition. And, and really, in the way I see it, functional training means I train the way I train helps me with my function. My function is different than your function is different than the next person's. You know, what do I do on a day to day basis? Like, what do I need to live my life more uh, physically capable? Um, bodybuilding, on the other hand, has pretty clear, you know, bodybuilding is a sport. And um, a lot of people talk about how they, you know, they do bodybuilding style training. Um, but, you know, bodybuilding itself is is a competitive sport that has rules. And there's a there are training methodologies that lend themselves best to achieving better body composition and aesthetic changes, which is the sport of bodybuilding. Um, so functional bodybuilding, where does that sit? You know, it's sort of like my experience as a CrossFitter taught me that there is a way to train and it's undeniable for anybody that's done CrossFit who has had a background in bodybuilding training, that there is something categorically different about training in that way where we're using compound exercises, we're using um, mixed modal training, meaning doing weights, gymnastics, and cardio all at the same time, um, and using uh, a variety of different implements and sort of moving away from the traditional bodybuilding idea of let's isolate muscle groups and moving more towards let's use a wide variety of muscle groups all simultaneously. So it's this, I will take these principles that came kind of very much so from CrossFit and that and the big rise of that over the past, you know, 10 to 15 years, as well as, you know, traditional bodybuilding concepts, which have been proven for decades to be effective at changing people's body composition, changing people's hormone profiles, you know, giving people strength and, and resistance value in their life. Let's take both of those and let's recognize that they're both good and they both have value and they both have uh, sound principles behind them. And let's not just be like in one camp or the other, like the bodybuilders, like I'm never doing CrossFit or the CrossFit are saying, oh, bodybuilding is, you know, is lame and it's so old school and it's so inferior. It's like, okay, I'm not going to be in either be right in the middle because I see the value of both. So if functional bodybuilding were to sit right in the middle of those two camps, here we're going to say, well, we value the aesthetic approach of bodybuilding. I value the, the use of slower contraction speeds, more time under tension, um, combinations and supersets in resistance training to teach people how to move better and to have better control of their body and to manage stress and, and intensity. But I also love the idea of getting people to do mixed modal conditioning work, getting people to use bigger compound lifts like thrusters or cleans or snatches, you know, deadlifts, squats, bench, things like that. Um, and let's incorporate them together so that people can actually get the best of both worlds and not feel like they have to just sit in one on one side of the fence or the other. Okay. Makes sense. Sounds as if hypertrophy is not the, the main goal as it is for bodybuilders. No, but it is, it is part, you know, and I don't, I don't look at um, most people that I speak to. Then again, I'm, I'm generalizing like an average client that comes in, what do they say they want? 
all of I it. I want to. <laughs> I want it They all. want all of it, but they typically say, they typically say, I want to look better naked. You know, they want to look better, which means body, body fat reduction. I often hear people say, I don't want to get bulky, right? And that's men and women. I don't want to bulk up. Like nobody wants to puff up like a body, like a professional bodybuilder. And so big, massive hypertrophy isn't really the goal for the average client. Yeah, we get some people that come in and like, dude, I want to put on 20 pounds of muscle. And I'm like, okay, get ready to make it your full-time job. Um, but, you know, it, 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 so, but, 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 but the bodybuilding principles that we utilize in our training methodology are extremely effective at building programs that help people lose body fat, right? So like, you know, body fat reduction uh, or body composition, recomposition is something that, you know, most bodybuilding programs do really well. The, the idea of putting on 10 pounds of lean tissue, you know, in a hypertrophy program is crazy hard. Like it's not, that's not going to just happen by accident. So we focus more on using those principles for, you know, uh, body fat reduction. And it's the same concept, uh, you know, same hypertrophy principles uh, in terms of time under tension, rest periods, et cetera, that we implement in our, in our training. Okay. Uh, coming back to your times when you uh, had your peak in CrossFit, may I ask, what did a typical training day look like for you? How many training sessions did you do per day during, let's say, peak times? I, I'm asking yeah. this because I remember a podcast, don't remember which one, where a well-known CrossFit athlete who explained, uh, where, where he explained that he does like, high intensity interval style cardio right after getting up in order to wake up he said so if i look at myself i need three high intensity coffees to wake up <laughs> before i even manage to move my feet <laughs> uh, oh, high, high intensity high intensity monster cats <laughs> that's funny yeah um well yeah i can speak to that for sure i mean uh in in peak times I would consider peaking, you know, the months leading up to the two months leading up to the CrossFit Games every year where volume, intensity, these were all at their highest that they ever would get throughout the year. Um, so on a typical training day, and this would be about six days a week, uh, and, and even some weeks, seven days a week, where there would there would never be a day of complete rest. It would just maybe there would be one day where I would do three, two to three low intensity low intensity cardio sessions as my rest day. Um, but a typical day usually would look like, okay, wake up um, and a morning session that was, uh, you know, less about resistance work, like, tr like weight training and more um, aerobic fitness cardio with maybe some gymnastics or some, you know, simple, simple things that my body and my brain could really you know, get into without, um, having, you know, my core body temperature rising for, you know, several hours of the day, et cetera. So wake up, have coffee, maybe a small little breakfast, go train. And that would be a 60 to 75 minute session. Then there would be rest period to come back, fuel myself for with, you know, uh, recovery drinks and breakfast, mm -hmm. and then rest a couple hours, come back to the gym for a 
you know, maybe like a, the core training session of the day where there would be multiple elements that could last for two hours, um, doing multiple CrossFit workouts, maybe some uh, additional resistance strength work, uh, Olympic lifting practice. Um, and then after that, again, more nourishment, recovery, lunch, rest a cup, a few hours, and then in the evening time, do anything that, you know, something more long and enduring um, from a, you know, conditioning standpoint. So maybe a long endurance piece, maybe a, a very uh, long cardio piece, uh, or or some or or something similar to what I did in the in the noontime, uh, a second session like that. So that that would be like, you know, that was typical of of leading up to the CrossFit Games, um, putting in anywhere from like four and a half to five hours of training a day, uh, and then. Yeah, that just that and that would peak right around the um, end of July. That's very impressive. The load must have been insane and must have been so difficult to manage it. You know, it, 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 it sounds like it was, but the way these things, the way athletes periodize their year, it's not so bad. And you, you, the, the thing that made it hard for me towards the end was uh, trying to balance, um, you know, a a coaching career and a family, uh, which many of the CrossFit athletes that are at the peak of the sport today, they don't have those things to contend with their time management. So, uh, you know, it's, it's not hard to, to go to work for eight hours a day. Well, if you're a CrossFit athlete and that's all you're doing, you're just going to work for eight hours a day, but you're training and you're, you're so built up for it and you're so trained for it that it, it doesn't, I mean, it certainly feels hard, but it's like, you know, it's it's just a different different type of thing than most people are used to. Okay, uh, now that you work mainly as a coach and also a father, do you still have any uh, current sports goals? Do you have time for that? Um, yeah, my no, most of my goals within training are uh, to just create optimal health and life balance. I mean, I still care to to be able to perform well in a variety of different tasks. I've recently started to, you know, get into mountain biking and really enjoying uh, the the process of learning something that's kind of foreign to me. I haven't, you know, I don't have a lot of experience in mountain biking. So, um, but no, from a, like a competitive standpoint or a performance standpoint, I'm not, I'm not really looking to, um, you know, have new milestones that I'm trying to hit as an athlete. Um, I still find, you know, in four to eight week periods of time within my training at the gym that I get very excited about, you know, developing aspects of my fitness, but not with like any intent to go and, and uh, compete or do that in, in a you know, performance setting. So as we are the tracker bros, um, now we get to the part of the podcast where we bomb you with nerdy questions on trackers and recovery stuff. Great, um, let's do it. As you are a Whoop user, why did you did you pick the Whoop against many other devices out there? Well, uh, at the time when I got the Whoop, it was one of the first devices that was kind of proposing to track these features. Um, all in one in one place. So, you know, the Aura Ring and maybe some of the other ones that are out there now were not really a available at the time. Um, so, and then Whoop was, uh, they sent me um, a free strap. They said, you want to try this? I said, sure. 
And so that was kind of just how it got started. And then I, I started to find some real value in using it. And I appreciated the data that I was getting. And so I've just kept the relationship with them for the last almost three years now of, of wearing the, the device. Okay. Um, so you're now at the uh, 3.0 strap, I guess. That's correct. Yeah. Okay. So uh, what does Whoop make better in your opinion than others? Well, again, I just have to be perfectly transparent. I do not have a lot of time using the other devices that uh, gives me a, a, like the ability to say, oh, I like this better than that. Um, what I do like about the feature, and certainly as they've kind of grown as a, as a business and released different straps, is the battery life on this is great. You know, I don't have to, I don't have to charge up um, it, it, except for every like fifth day and charging takes about you know, an hour. So it's really nice to not have to feel like I'm constantly connected, needing to connect to a power source. Um, and I just, I, I value the, the, how user-friendly the application is to understand kind of my readiness state each day, my recovery score and my, um, and my sleep data. That's kind of, that's kind of it. Okay. So you have one tracker, the room. People like us, we have multiple trackers <laughs> just because yeah. we, we like this topic, we like to compare, we like to play around. Um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, for example, people like Marcus, they, they buy trackers more often than other people change their underwear. And, <laughs> uh, I wonder, do you blindly trust the data, the results that the Whoop gives you? Or do you also listen to your body and intuition? Oh, no, I, I certainly... I've always um, always used my intuition first and foremost and checked into my body. Um, that has kind of always been like the guiding light for me. However, uh, sometimes I, I would say that it's difficult to um, be totally like not let personal bias creep in sometimes like, okay, I'm actually not feeling great, but I really wanted to like perform well today. So I'm just going to ignore some of the signals that my body might be giving me and I'm just going to go for it. I'm going to push through. And um, so having some objective measurement there to sort of keep me honest is, has been really um, a, a huge value. And I, I think that, you know, because I'm not competing at a high level in sport, my, the way I bring the energy that I bring to training each day is I can vary it and fluctuate it based upon how I'm feeling. I don't need to like, I don't have any like time pressure. It'll be like, I need to be pushing it max effort today, regardless of how I feel because I have a competition coming up in a few weeks. That doesn't happen for me anymore. Um, so the data that I get that I use most closely is more of like the sleep recovery data. And that is very, I, I wouldn't say I blindly follow it, but it's, it's very objectively uh, positioned information that allows me to make calculated decisions about how I'm going to approach, you know, my, my evening behaviors, my morning behaviors, my daytime behaviors to try and improve the quality and the, um, and the duration of my sleep. And, and then in turn, how well I've recovered for the next day. Let's take an example. Suppose you wake up and you feel, Okay, let's say middle. And the boot tells you your condition is really bad, like 20% recovery. Mm -hmm. what, what would you do? 
would you prefer the or would you give the uh, rating which is sort of objective higher priority over your body feeling um like i said i mean i uh you know it, i don't have days where or certainly i more and more now that my my principal focus is not on performance and it's on you know longevity wellness day-to-day -day mental acuity i find that my whoop scores are much more consistently aligned with how i'm actually feeling um i don't have days where very few days where it's like oh i felt great but then it says i'm red um those rarely happen if ever anymore if i did wake up and i saw a score that was low or lower than I felt, or if I felt low and the score was maybe slightly higher, um, I'm still going to bring the uh, awareness into my training that day when it comes to, and I'll be really, I'll give some actionable advice to listeners. When I do, let's say, working sets of five working sets of a back squat, I may be in a, in a normal training environment building on each set, trying to reach 90% effort by my last set. And so making weight increases set by set by set. If I have a poor score, or if I know I'm under recovered, I will just simply make the intent finishing quality movement and quality repetitions for all my sets. And I will just skip load increases because I find that with uh, my recovery scores, it really impacts how well my body handles external load, not how well my body handles doing um, aerobic capacity training, work capacity training, or body weight gymnastics stuff. So that, that it, just, it just kind of brings my attention to um, how much load my body can handle that particular day and whether I should try and push my last set or not push my last set. Okay. By the way, I do it the same way. Exactly as you said, I don't increase, I don't go higher. I always tell myself I could go higher, but I feel I'm not in the best shape today. So yeah, let's just yeah. not do it. Not, uh, yeah, don't, don't take a risk. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So is there any data that uh, the whoop gives you that you do not trust? Let's say, I don't know, uh, calories, heart rate, sleep duration or quality, uh, recommendations for intensity? Yeah, I would say I don't, it's, it's not a matter of not trusting. It's just that, you know, the calorie um, equation is, uh, I think, something that just doesn't have too big a place. Uh, I don't think any fitness tracker application is going to give you anything precise in the way of calories burned on a given day that should dictate what you actually consume in the way of energy. Um, and that's any fitness app that's out there because calories in and calories out is a much, much too complicated uh, equation with lots of variables that, um, you know, shouldn't be simplified down to, well, my whoop says I burned 2,700 calories today, so I need to go eat 2,700 calories. That's, you know, that's it. Um, I think that most fitness, what, what, you, what you should be looking for with fitness trackers and apps when you look at caloric expenditure is, consistency and something some reliable measure of consistency so you know one day you burn 2700 calories the next day you burn 4200 calories but your day was pretty much the same in terms of what you did activity wise and like that that seems to me to be a very inconsistent 
uh, you know, data tracking system. So what I found is that, you know, Whoop uh, is, is very consistent in terms of my total energy expenditure. Like I can see on a given day that I, let's say I burned 2,500 calories, but then the next day I had a harder day and it did and it said, okay, you burned 3000 calories. Like it, I can actually see the correlation from day to day um, that is consistent. Now, with that said, I've got daily uh, caloric expenditure app or website that tells me I need 3,900 calories to maintain. I've got my Whoop tracker says that yesterday I burned 2,700 calories. I ate 4,000 calories yesterday. So like, what's the right number? Like I didn't, you know, I'm not yeah. gaining weight. I'm not losing weight. I'm, I use, you know, my body weight and my body composition over the course of many months to inform that. I do track the food that I eat and I know, you know, within a delta of about two to 300 calories, like how much I ate on any given day. So I would, that, that, that's, that's the extent to which I think, you know, people should be looking at uh, caloric expenditure on their app. And I get questions all the time on social media. Hey, Marcus, do you trust the do you trust the calorie count on whoop? Should I be doing this or that based upon the calorie count? And I'm like, no, cause I, I, I wouldn't trust any calorie count that, to like inform you on what you should eat or what you shouldn't eat. Like there's way too many hormonal variables, neurological variables, food quality variables, digestive health variables, uh, you know, physiological um, parameters that just can't, they, they just will never show up on a fitness application. Yeah. Uh, and as far as I know, they, they recently also changed something with their calorie algorithm. Um, yeah. I, I, own, I own the Whoop too. Uh, uh, it's much lower now. Yeah, it's much lower. Yeah. I went from yeah. the 3,700 calories on a hard day to 2,800 calories on a hard day. And I'm like, okay, well, <laughs> I didn't suddenly stop burning yeah. energy. It's like, just. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay, um, I used to own a Whoop, um, and I don't have you know any particular reason why I sold it, except that uh, I just have too many trackers, and I cannot you know wear uh, five of them at the same time. Although I did, there were times where I did. Yeah. And but one thing I did not like about the Whoop was that it was not uh, capable to pair a chest strap, and I just mm. wanted to check. Are you aware of the limitations that optical sensors have when they are worn on the wrist? Uh, depending on which exercise you do, that the heart rate may be inaccurate. For mm. example, if you, if you do exercises that have a bent wrist or have tension on the wrist, like pull-ups or rowing with very high intensity, uh, etc. So for these Kind, for this kind of exercises, the numbers shown do not uh, display the reality. Are you aware of this? You know, I've, I've, um, I do. Under, I mean, I understand that the connectivity of the actual sensor to your body makes a big difference as to like whether you're getting accurate heart rate data or not. Um, I have seen people with whoop straps that have gotten new bands and they've installed them themselves and they've put them on incorrectly and therefore the band doesn't actually create the correct amount of skin contact and tension and therefore they get heart rates that are off um 
the same thing could go for a chest strap. The same thing could go for a thigh. I mean, any position of the body and where you put it. Um, you know, the, 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 there is, I mean, I, I have a bicep strap and I have a wrist strap and I have a sleeve that uh, I can put onto my calf or I can put onto my arm that the whoop can fit into. I mean, they have these, uh, they have these options available to people. So, you know, you can, you can yeah. work around that. Um, I've also found that by turning the whoop strap onto the inside of my wrist, uh, not the back of my wrist or the forearm, um, that I can, uh, I can, you know, with movements that like, let's say kettlebell work where I'm actually, I have a bell that's hitting my wrist. Like, I don't want that to disrupt the, the heart rate data that I'm getting. And that has been shown, um, not only in my own personal experience, but by whoop to, uh, give just as accurate, uh, information as well. Um, but again, it's like, you know, I, if you're, if you want, I think it's a great, tool for tracking heart rate when you're in your training but then again that's not my principal purpose for it like i don't i i've I, and you know with most individuals that i work with um getting like having a clear number in front of them while they're exercising as to what their heart rate is isn't that that's not like that's not the the most useful data that they can get plus and this is like something for everybody to know is that heart rate in exercise is not necessarily indicative of the actual, you know, effort that you're giving or the, the nervous system uh, demands or the, the strain that it's going to have on your body when it comes to your recovery. And perfect example is that if I get on a bike, a stationary bike in my gym, and I push myself to 90% perceived exertion, like where I'm working really hard, and I do the same thing on a rowing machine, my heart rates are uh, very different. Uh, it's hard to get my heart rate up very high on a bike, whereas on a rowing machine, it's much easier to get my heart rate up on a rowing machine. And so it's like, you know, I, I unless you're like really a, a focused endurance athlete that's very dialed into their zones within each implement that they use in their sport, um, you know, certainly in CrossFit and mixed modal training, heart rate is not that good of a tool to use. It doesn't give us a lot of actionable information that we can take into box jumps, burpees, kettlebell swings, and rope climbs. Yep. For the cardio side, it does, I believe, also proven by many studies. But for the rest, which is the majority of CrossFit, I believe it's not a good metric. Mm. For all the stuff that has to do with weights, for example. Yeah. Agreed. Okay, um, so uh, where do you see room for improvement in the Whoop? Uh, what features do you wish for? Hmm, I would love to be able to see, and I talked about this yesterday with um, uh, a sleep scientist that came in for a consultation and a meeting. Um, you know, the there's data that we, we can pull, like, you know, uh, and this is maybe not like, this is for Whoop or for any tracking device you know what we did yesterday impacts what we're how we're feeling today that that's that's something that people are are very it's easy for them to to wrap their brain around like last night i drank three you know cocktails and this morning i was under recovered and i didn't sleep well and i felt bad right but then the the thing that 
I would like to see investigated more and better, um, like, uh, data, uh, collection on is what are the, what, what is happening with the events of two weeks ago or a week ago? Like, and how is that impacting how, how I'm feeling today? And I've known this intuitively from, you know, I, I just, just like my own nutritional manipulation, right? I have, um, you know, two days where I, or a day where I, you know, go really high carb or I eat a lot of extra sugar and I have high sugar day or something like that, you know, like low quality food, but I eat a bunch of excess calories. The day that follows, I'm actually really well recovered. Um, I slept great. You know, uh, my, my actually, my, I got a little leaner. I dropped some, some water weight, like my weight went down, like there's, you know, some things that happen. And then it's really like five to eight days later that I start to feel the impact of that. And it shows up with me being a little lethargic, a little tired. My carb sensitivity is off my appetite or my, you know, um, perceived need for sugars is, is my regulations off. And, and that, I, I mean, I, my intuitive sense is that that tracks back to something that happened eight days ago, not what I did yesterday. And so, that's where I think there's room for all of this data accumulation and tracking to improve is to like figure out, okay, well, what, what is actually making this impact on people, uh, you know, that they're experiencing today, you know, and get out of the lens of just what happened yesterday and, and broaden the scope a little bit. Totally agree. Um, what Wood does is uh, with the sleep tracking, actually, they, they give you recommendations now. Um, they collect data and give correlation. I hope they uh, do this with the long-term trends also in the yeah. near future. Um, okay. Uh, do you also use subjective markers in addition to the objective data Wood provides? Um, example would be muscular or general fatigue or sleep quality. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't actually, um, I don't do a lot of like recording of that stuff. Um, most of it's just kind of, kind of like self check in on a on a regular or a, you know a daily basis. But um, yeah, I don't, I don't track that in a written format uh, anywhere. Okay, so you're not a number cruncher, like. We have many people in our groups. They are complete number crunches. They keep like 20 Excel sheets. Yeah, yeah uh, I'm not everything. one of those. <laughs> I, I, I see the value of them and I actually believe in, you know, engaging in that process periodically throughout a, a year, for example, like maybe twice a year going through something a bit more, um, you know, I kind of preach this for a lot of my clients too, but, uh, you know, something a bit more, empirically driven where you're actually, you know, assigning values to certain, you know, qualitative, uh, let's say, you know, what was my sleep quality on a zero to 10 kind of uh, situation. But um, no, I'm not in the process of doing that regularly. I have far too many things on my brain to fill it with something else, another set of numbers. Um, it's just not, this is not the best value, use of my time at this point. Okay. Uh We talked about trackers and Whoop in particular. Um, are there any other gadgets, devices, or apps that you use to monitor your performance or your sleep or any other metrics? Uh, it doesn't have to be like trackers. Um, it can also be like th things that where you think it improves your sleep. 
Um, I've been, well, I don't know about necessarily, I'll just go through a quick list. I mean, what I use is, uh, I do track my, uh, nourishment through my fitness pal. I use an app called zero, which is essentially a fasting app. And it just helps me hold, hold me accountable to, um, certain zero calorie, uh, zero ingestion, uh, other than water time windows throughout my day. Um, and then let's see. Yeah. And then I use a, um, a meditation app that, um, I, I, I follow along with on a daily basis. Okay. Um, so, uh, what main metrics do you look at? Uh, what is important for you uh, and why? So let's talk about uh, resting heart rate, HRV and stuff. Um, Yeah, I mean, I, I pay attention to the, uh, on, a, on a given night, I'm looking at sort of what is my uh, total, total sleep disturbances and, num like, out, and minutes of awake time when I'm actually in bed. Um, I like to track my, you know, from a physical performance standpoint and just wanting to feel my best. I look at my deep sleep numbers. Um, let's see, I will, I'll pay, you know, loose attention to my uh, resting heart rate and um, HRV. But, uh, you know, when, when my HRV really is, is if it tanks for any reason, I, I do like to investigate like, well, okay, what, what's going on? Uh, how, what is, what does my last week look like? Um, but those would be kind of the, the key metrics that I look at. All right. Now, coming back to the times where you uh, were on a competitive level in CrossFit, mm -hmm. uh, did you at that time monitor any performance indicators uh, besides the usual, you know, uh, workout of the days, benchmarks and such? Uh, did you like track VO2 max? Or did you I observe did if HRV goes up uh, and, and recovery improves by improving your cardiovascular capabilities, things like that? You know, to be honest, I, I actually found that when I was doing more competitive fitness that I, especially in, in the sport of CrossFit, which has so many variables that are very, very difficult to monitor, track, and Uh, correlate to like our actual performances because it's such a new sport and there's so much that we don't know. Um, I found that trying to dig too deep into the numbers just didn't get me anywhere. It just created more anxiety uh, about, you know, Oh, I, I'm not, I'm not recovered or my HRV is down today. Oh, what should I do? And um, that was not useful <laughs> in the, <laughs> in my approach to the sport. So I sort of had to kind of just, turn off my brain a little bit to it. Um, and to be honest, I became a whoop user, uh, shortly after, like just towards the very tail end of my competitive career and, and mostly like after I was retired. So I didn't, um, yeah, I, I didn't use it that directly when I was, when I was competing. And, uh, as I mentioned, okay. At that time, the tools didn't exist uh, a lot anyway. Uh, okay, um, 
Our listeners are usually people who are not only into trekkers, but also people who try to live a so-called healthy lifestyle, whatever that means, which usually includes nutrition. So let's talk a bit about nutrition. So what does yours look like or what did it look like? Do you follow any particular diet or do you recommend anything particular to your clients who are more into... Uh, let's call it performance-oriented, who have really goals in sense of performance? Um, yeah, well, so since my goals right now are not performance-based, but they're more sort of uh, general wellness and health and longevity, then I have not, you know, I'm not, I'm not living the performance-based nutrition lifestyle. Um, I focus a lot, and what I educate a lot on now is, uh, making sure people are prioritizing the health of their digestive systems um, first and foremost, which means having good circadian rhythm, um, good circadian rhythms, good sleep, quality food, and great food hygiene, how you consume the food uh, to, so as to not overwhelm your stomach, small intestine, large intestine, um, and disrupt the, uh, the balance of, you know, the microbiome in your body. Uh, so those are kind of like, that's the big thing that I, I spend a lot of time and energy on educating. Um, what that ends up looking like is, you know, cooking all my own food, sourcing the best ingredients possible, getting things locally and organic so that I'm not ingesting a lot of pesticides and I'm not ingesting a lot of hormones and I'm eating animals that were fed a diet that was supposed to be fed to them. Um, you know, uh, having these uh, fasting windows where I give my digestion a break and um and then making sure people are learning and, and i'm always uh practicing this but sitting down in a calm parasympathetic state to eat it, my food chewing it uh, effectively so that i can actually absorb nutrients from it uh, and so forth okay so this sounds as if the goal was rather towards longevity and general health yes. than strictly performance oriented correct so when we look at the CrossFit scene, I think it's safe to say that we have a high percentage of people who care about living healthy and also care about nutrition. For example, we have a relatively high amount of paleo people. Also, we observe a strong vegetarian or vegan movement. Um, do you think that any of these diets is better for performance than others? Um, please note, I'm talking about performance here, not ethics or whatever. Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I will speak to that. I mean, maybe you're uh, referring to this this new documentary that's kind of hitting hitting the world, uh, the game changers, and uh, this is uh, one of them. Yeah, that's yeah. highly discussed. Highly discussed, really. Right, right. Yeah, I, I mean, I prefer not to dive too deep into that um, because, uh, yeah, I just there's there's a lot of a lot of things that are problematic with the documentary series that comes out that is uh, is very biased and tr trying to push an agenda um, that is is not you know they're they're not uh, presenting all of the science they're presenting whatever science pr uh, supports their claims but um, no I'm I'm more of the the standpoint of if you increase the quality of people's food they will see improvements in their performance uh, to a certain degree. And at the end of the day, though, uh, athletes within any sport 
they need to fuel correctly to provide the, the, the necessary building blocks to recover and to execute their sport at a high level. So when the Tour de France athletes are, you know, mid-stage and they're drinking Coca-Cola, then that, <laughs> that's been proven for years to work really well for them. Right. I'm not going to I'm not going to argue that, uh, you know, a cold Coca-Cola at the top of a mountain stage is exactly what they want. So don't tell me they need to have better quality, you know, drinks or something. That's that's BS. Um, but, yeah, I, I definitely I, you know, I eat meat, vegetables and starch and th that that works really well for me. And I'm open to investigating anything that works well for somebody. But they have to they have to actually show me data that that you know, proves that like a, a client of ours a month ago was like, I want to try going vegan and seeing how that impacts my body composition. Okay. So a month goes by, you know, zero change to his body composition. He's been training three times a week with a trainer. He's been not eating any animal products. And he's like, okay, well that, that maybe didn't impact anything positively. Maybe I should, you know, reevaluate this. So it's like, you got to use data. You got to use the actual em empirical evidence that's in front of you to, to, to make this, you know, decisions about what's best for you. I'm glad to hear this. I'm a complete science guy. Yeah. Okay, um, so talking about uh, CrossFit again, um, what, uh, what is the advice uh, of you for the many thousands of CrossFitters out there who want to get through the CF Open series and take part in the regionals or even CrossFit games? What's your main advice to them? Oh, you know, my main advice at this point, at this stage of the game is um, if you really want to be competitive and serious about your CrossFit, you absolutely need to hire a coach. Okay, there is um, like a personal coach to show you and guide you through this very complicated season and complex uh, sport that is ahead of you. So it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, there's events that are happening all the time. There's qualifiers that are happening every other weekend. There are, you know, high, harder and harder competition that's out there. And so if you want to be successful, you need to have somebody who can take a, an objective look at what you're doing and really just map out a very good periodized program. You know, CrossFit sport is not a random thing. It is a periodized sport, just like any other great sport that's out there. And you need to have somebody that can do that for you. All right, so congratulations, Markus. Uh, you made it through our podcast. Um, awesome. Na now we would like to give you the chance to tell our listeners how to find your online coaching program. Um, oh, fantastic. Um, maybe you also can give some uh, discount code or something? I would love to, yeah. <laughs> yeah, let's, okay. Put me on the spot. No, um, for sure. Uh, so please visit us at revival-strength.com. That's my website. And there is a opportunity on the website, on the main page to sign up to my email list where we send out training articles, free exercise content, uh, nutrition content, sleep content every single week. It's highly valuable stuff. And that's the feedback that I get from a lot of our, our email subscribers. You will also get a free training program and nutrition download right when you sign up immediately um and then you can investigate all the programs that we offer online right there um at our training you know there's a link at the top that says you know train train with us or learn from us um and if you use the discount code look uh, excuse me lgmw 
and the number 10, LGMW10. Look good, move well 10. That's our uh, discount code to our podcast listeners. And I'd happily share that with your listeners as well. Um, you can go and get a 10% discount off of any one of our online products, which there are a number of some training programs, some three day a week training programs, four day a week training programs, some educational materials, some warm up products. Um, so I'd love to have you guys go out and check that out. And, and more importantly, just get on the email list so I can communicate with you and keep you up to speed with what we're doing as a training brand. Awesome. Um, we will put this links uh, also in the, the description and the discount code. And yeah, over to Daniel. Yeah, Marcus, uh, are you capable to handle the load that will approach uh, by the like thousands of users listening to this podcast to register <laughs> your program? I will. I'm ready. <laughs> Tens of thousands of people. We're ready for you. Could be a little less. Before I say goodbye to our guests, uh, give us the chance to talk about uh, what the Tracker Bros are. That's Marcus and me. And we run a number of Tracker-related Facebook groups for the English-speaking. The main group is named Fitness Trackers for Human Performance Tuning and Analysis, where we mostly talk about advanced stuff like HRV and performance monitoring. For the German-speaking among us, we have a group simply called Fitness Tracker, where the focus is more on traditional uh, devices. Uh, further, we have a group called Aura Ring, the Science of Sleep, Health Tracking and Recovery, which is, as the name implies, about the Aura Ring and general sleep science. Uh, if you like what we do and you want to support our efforts, feel free to use the service Buy Me a Coffee, which we will place as a link below our podcasts. So, Marcus, it was a pleasure to have you here. Yeah, absolute uh, pleasure. I like Thank your you reasonable thoughts and your yeah. pragmatic approaches. Uh, yeah, so have fun. And uh, it was nice having you here. Yeah, My really pleasure, a pleasure. Guys. Ciao. Yes. Best of luck to everything that you guys are doing, okay? Thanks All a lot. Right. Thanks. Bye. Bye.